Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Famine drove us from our homeland. We started a new life. Then came tragedy and loss. Loss of a husband. Loss of sons. Leaving only bitterness. What do you do when all you feel is pain and loss? What do you do when tragedy takes away everything you love? While in my despair, I found hope. Through friendship and love, I found that I could be redeemed. Well, good morning, Liquid Church. How are you today? So good to see you. I just want to welcome our campus that are watching throughout the state of New Jersey, as well as those of you online. So glad that you are here as we're about to jump into our new series, Redeemed. We're going to be looking at the story of Ruth. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Really excited about this series. How many of you have heard the story of Ruth before? Okay, a couple of you have. It's a phenomenal story. Ruth is this tiny book in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, about four chapters, yet its impact goes even to us today as followers of Christ in the church. And one of the big themes in Ruth is relationships. And so this week we're going to be looking at redeemed friendships, the friendships that are going to go the distance and, and really kind of help us uh, succeed and go with the direction that God's made us for. And then next week we're going to be looking at uh, redeemed romance. It's what I call the R&B of love. So put on some Marvin Gaye, and next week we're going to get it on, all right? So, you know, as we're kind of looking at this idea of friendship, friendship is something that, you know, I think any of us would agree is a pretty big deal in our culture. We go to our friends to give us perspective, to, to kind of help us, you know, when we're not seeing things the way we should, or, or and oftentimes, you know, those kind of friendships can oftentimes ripple and have an impact in our culture. Our culture values friendship. In fact, how many of you have heard the song by the Beatles, With a Little Help from My Friend? Have you heard of it? Okay, a couple of you have. You know how it goes. I get by with a little help from my all right, we're not going to sing the rest of that. But uh, the song was written by one of the best songwriting teams of John Lennon and Paul McCartney, who also happened to be friends. In fact, this song was one of the last songs they were truly collaborating on. John Lennon had broken a finger as they were kind of writing it, and they wanted to call the song The Broken Finger Boogie. So I'm glad they didn't go with that and uh, went in a different direction. But they had a friendship that really determined the direction of their lives, determined the direction of the Beatles. I would even say it determined the direction of how we as a culture view music and how we consume music, because really it, they changed everything. When we look at the story of Ruth, we're going to look at a friendship of two women, Ruth and Naomi. Naomi is the mother-in-law, the older kind of uh, woman in, in the friendship, and then Ruth is the young daughter-in-law, and their friendship really determined the direction, not just of their, their lives, but also of the generations that came after them. And, and in fact, the, the truth of the matter is they didn't have a great start. In fact, it was a very bitter beginning. It's a really bitter beginning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ruth. Uh, a lot of scripture we're going to go through. If you want, you can follow along in your notes in your bulletin, as well as on your smartphone. Now, we, one thing to keep in mind is that Ruth is an ancient document. It was written thousands and thousands of years ago. So there's a lot of things in the book of Ruth that may seem a little puzzling that we're going to decode as we kind of walk through the story. And, and there's a lot of really interesting details in here that are really going to help us capture this idea of redeemed friendship. So starting in verse 1, it says this. 
And whatever you see in gold and bold, if you could just say that out loud with me, just so I know that you're with me. Sound good? Awesome. In the days when the what? Judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. A couple things I want to decode in here. One is when he talks about the days of the judges, this is a time of great political instability. At the time of ancient Israel, they were ruled by people called the judges. These were men or women that would essentially uh, kind of uh, be, you know, take care of things, kind of watch over things, negotiate the peace. But what happened is when the judge would die, there would be this power vacuum. And all of a sudden, all the tribes of Israel are fighting for one another. People are kind of doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes. And it's causing all sorts of chaos, all so- all sorts of, uh, um, you know, basically uh, disequilibriums happening in the nation of Israel. It's similar to what's happening right now in the UK with Brexit, right? Everyone's saying it's not my fault. I didn't know what was going on. But there's this destabilizing effect that's happening in Israel. So on top of that political instability, you also have a famine. In fact, the word Bethlehem actually means in Hebrew, house of bread. So this is like the ancient world Panera bread that's happening right now. And the Panera bread is out of food, right? If you go to Panera bread and there's no food, what are you going to do? You're going to go to Salad Works. If you're ever having a really stressful week, maybe you'll hit up McDonald's or Wendy's, something along those lines. And so that's kind of what's happening here. There's no food. There's political instability. We're going to move to Moab. Now, what is Moab? Now, if if God's chosen people are meant to live in Israel, Moab's kind of like Long Island, right? Who wants to go to Long Island, right? Yeah, right? No one wants to go to Long Island, right? Okay, maybe five of you do, but that's okay. But, you know, Long Island is like, you know, and, and so this is the, the journey that they're taking. They're going to this place. Uh, Panera Bread's got no food, so they got to go where the food is. They're in, uh, in Moab, and as they're trying to build this new life for themselves, this is when things take a turn. And this is when things get tragic. And this is where Naomi loses her husband. Scripture doesn't tell us what happened exactly. We just know that one day he just kind of drops dead, gone. And then to make matters worse, she had two sons, both dead too. The first son, dead, gone. Second son as well, dead and gone. Leaving behind her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And so now Ruth and Naomi are alone together. No husbands, uh, no sons, really in a difficult, difficult situation here. And Ruth is probably is, is a widow, and she's probably in her mid-20s. And, and so this is the prime of her life. This is the time in her life where she's thinking uh, about kids, about having a family, about flourishing, and all of that is ripped away from her with the death of her husband, the death of her father-in-law. And if that doesn't make things worse, being a widow in the ancient world is probably the worst place you could ever be. Because widows in the ancient world, they didn't have any, uh, any social help, any, anything like that. It was a patriarchal society, so you, either your husband took care of you, your brother or your son, all those things are gone. They're forgotten. They're left to themselves, pushed to the margins of society. And it's the worst place they could ever imagine. In fact, Naomi is so angry and so bitter that she describes herself as this way in verse 20. It says this, Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. You see, in Hebrew, Naomi means sweet, and now she's bitter. So God, I went to Moab, and my life was going great. I had a husband, and I had two sons, and they were married, and our family was about to flourish and to grow, and I was full, and then you made me empty, God. You took my husband, you took my sons, and now I have nothing. And the bitterness and the anger and the pain is coming out, and she expresses it to people. She expresses it to God. You see, so often when we're entering a time of tragedy and loss, 
and pain is just so uh, front and center in our lives. We want to hide it. We want to push it away. But really what God is asking for is give me your pain. Give me your bitterness. Give me your doubt. Give me your confusion. I can handle it. I want it. Don't, don't hide it. Don't, don't push it away. Because when we've ever lost someone, maybe in the prime of our lives, someone is, is taken away without us ever really realizing it, oftentimes we're, we're feeling confused and we need, we need to give that to the Lord. I remember uh, several years ago, uh, we were kind of having a family reunion of sorts. Uh, my Uncle Herbert, my Aunt Vosney were, were flying down from England uh, and coming to the States. And we were really excited. I hadn't seen them in a long time. I wanted to re uh, reconnect with my cousins. It was kind of like this 40-year reconnection. You know, they were married for 40 years. Their sons were doing great. It's kind of this big family celebration. And we were going to drive down to Maryland to meet up with them and some other family members, then come to New Jersey and go sightseeing. And really exciting stuff. Really couldn't wait. And then one day I got a call from my mom as I'm getting ready to, to meet up with them to drive down. And she said, you need to pray right now. Your, your Uncle Herbert, I don't know what happened, um, but he had a heart attack, I think. So I'm like, okay. And, you know, I get off the phone. I'm, I'm kind of shaken up. I, I get ready quicker. I jump in the car. And as I'm driving, my mom calls again. And she says, he's gone. And what had happened was he went ten played tennis that morning, and he came back, and, and he had this heart attack, collapsed on the living room floor, and the EMTs came, and they're giving him CPR, trying to resuscitate him. And at his brother's house, in front of his sons and his wife, he passed away. And so we drive from New Jersey to Maryland in complete silence, just not knowing what to say, and in shock, feeling numb. And when we finally get there, just didn't have the words. My cousin's literally just, just numb. My aunt was weeping. All of us just were sitting with them in silence, just not even knowing what words we could even use in that moment. And I will never forget the words th that my aunt uttered. She said this. She said, what will become of me? Who, who, who's going to take care of me? What's next? These are the words that Ruth and Naomi are literally uttering. They're asking themselves, who will take care of us? What will become of us? What's next? And so Naomi starts to take stock of her life. She starts to look around and, and, and see she's in Moab. It's, an, it's, a, it's not where she grew up. And she's thinking, you know, I'm older now. If there's any place I would go, I'd probably go back home. Maybe that's where I need to spend the rest of my days. And she starts to get ready to make the move back to Israel. And then she's packing up her luggage and she's packing up her car. She heard that Bethlehem, the house of bread, is restocked. And so the famine's over. So she's thinking it's going to be better that way. And so she's about to get ready for that. She sees that Ruth is about to jump into the passenger seat. Now, if being a widow is bad, being a Moabite widow in Israel is even worse. See, Moab and Israel, you talk about racial tensions, they're there. You talk about ethnic and cultural divide, that's there too. You talk about any kind of ism, sexism, uh, whatever it is, it's all there between these two countries. And for Ruth to leave, it would mean that things would get worse. So Naomi has a very direct conversation with her daughter-in-law. She gets in her face and she says this, she says this, go back, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that you will find rest in the home of another husband. She says this, Ruth, thank you so much. Thank you so much for how you've taken care of my son, how you've taken care of, of me and, and your kindness. I hope that it's repaid, but you need to stay in Moab. That is your home. You need to stay there 
because that's better for you. You can go back and live with your parents. You can go back and stay with them. You can go back and get married again and things get better. You're young, you're beautiful. Just stay, stay in mobile. I have to go back to Israel. That is my life. That's my lot. And you see what Naomi's really doing here is she's in a sense signing her death warrant. Naomi's much older. She's the older mother-in-law. When she is going to go, and she's essentially going to fend for herself in Israel with no help, with no one to come alongside of her. This literally means she's going to go to die in Israel. So, well, Ruth has things good in Moab. Naomi's going to have things really bad in Israel. But, you know, in many ways, she knows that if she can sacrifice herself, it means Ruth can succeed in Moab. If she can sacrifice her happiness and her health and her life, that means Ruth is going to do better. Ruth's going to have a family again, and Ruth's going to do great. You see, in many ways, these two women are kind of stuck between two worlds, the worlds of Israel and Moab. But in many ways, the story of Ruth is really an immigrant story. Because any immigrant, if you ask them why they would make the move that they're doing, why would they sacrifice their present state of happiness and, and how things are going, they would say it's so that the next generation can succeed so the next generation can do better than they have. So my parents are immigrants. I want to ask, how many of you are first or second generation? You know, your parents came here. Okay, there's, there's a decent amount of you here. And, and so you kind of know this, but you know, my parents, you know, they took the journey essentially from, uh, from India and came to America. And as they're making that journey, uh, for my mom, this was a big deal. My mom, uh, my dad was a student at Drew. He was, uh, you know, studying for his PhD. And so uh, he met my mom, or, and, uh, you know, they eventually uh, came over here. Now, what's interesting is that my mom is a nurse. Uh, she's a nurse today. When she was in India, not only was she a nurse, but she also would teach nurses. She was pretty high up in that thing. She had a great group of friends, great group of family. They're the kind of family, you know, when they'd have dinner together, everyone would just talk on top of each other, right? Right? You know, some of you are like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's my family, right? So that was kind of the family, the friends. You had a really tight circle of, of that. And then on top of that, you know, my mom was an adventurer. She went from this tiny little village in South India to this big city of Mumbai to study in university. And then after she got married to my dad, she eventually moved uh, to America. And I think that's where she moved to America. They got married. She moved there. Uh, she got pre pregnant pretty quick with me, you know, so things are going even, even better, right? And <laughs> In the midst of all this, as this is going on, uh, it, my mom's starting to realize there's a lot of differences between being in India and being in America. For one, in, in India, she was, you know, was kind of like the head of the class in terms of nursing, but now that she was in America, the standards were different. So she went from teaching nurses and, and nursing, which she loved to do, gave her such joy and meaning, to being literally at the bottom of the barrel and having to work her way back up again. She went from having this, great, this big group of close family and friends. It was just her and my dad. And, you know, my dad's a PhD student. He's, he's, he's in the library. He's, he's going to classes, and so he can't be there for her all the time, and so she's starting to get lonely. And in the midst of all this, uh, she's got no car. She's got no license. There's really nowhere else for her to go. She's kind of stuck. And, you know, this, at this point, this is when culture shock started to set in. Because you got to understand, my mom lived in this part of India, South India. It was like the Jungle Book, right? Tropical, uh, tropical temperatures, beautiful river. It, literally, she lives in the jungle, right? There's all these uh, rubber tree plantations all around. Beautiful place. And now she's in New Jersey, right? <laughs> New, New Jersey, right? And it's snowing, you know? And, and so the snow's down. You got to shovel it. And then you got to put the salt down there. And there's all this stuff that she's— it, it, it's so new and it's so different. And so— She's lonely. 
she, she's struggling with some anger, maybe a little bit of depression, and she's kind of wondering, God, why are things the way they are? This is harder than I thought. This is harder than I imagined. And yet in the midst of all of this struggle, in the midst of all this pain, there was one thought that kept her looking forward and looking upward, and that was this, is my sacrifice could be so that my children could succeed. My sacrifice is so my kids could have things that I never had. Any success that I have, that my sister has experienced, my brother, that's all because of my parents' courage and their bravery. It wasn't me, but they took that step so that we could succeed. And so I, forever I'm going to be indebted to them. I honor them for that. But that's the story of, the, of an immigrant. Well, some sacrifice so others can succeed. And that's the story of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi is essentially saying this, stay. Stay in Moab. Things are better for you here. Don't come with me, knowing very well that this was her way of dying. And Ruth finally had this way out. Ruth could simply say, all right, well, Naomi says I can go, so I'm just going to peace out and leave. But her re response, it's mind-blowing. I, I can't even believe this. She says this uh, here. She says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. You, you know what she's saying here? She's saying this is, Naomi, I am not going to abandon you in your hour of need. I'm not going to become a fair-weather friend. Just because things get harder, just because things get more difficult, it doesn't mean I'm leaving you. I am right there with you. I'm stuck to you like glue. We are soul sisters. I'm not going anywhere. I've got your back. I'm clinging on to you. I see Ruth just kind of grabbing on to Naomi. She's like, I am not going anywhere. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend like that that is not going to let you get away with your self-pity, that's not going to let you walk away when you need to stand up and fight? I'll be honest. I think very few of us have friends like that. Those kind of friends are, are few and far between, but those are a redeemed friendship. It, it, it's someone who's going to be with you when things get difficult. They're not going to turn away. They're not going to change the subject when things get hard. They're going to walk with you in it and go forward in that and even pull you out of the self-pity that we can sometimes have when we're going through times of tragedy and loss. You know, I saw a great picture of this, actually, in the movie Bridesmaids. Who's seen Bridesmaids? Who's going to admit it? Okay. I know, we're all being judged right now. Now listen, there's still obviously some things in the movie I'm not a huge fan of. It's, it's kind of gross in some ways. But there's a, there, there, it's a story about friendship, really, at the heart of it. And there's this one scene that's just a really powerful picture of how redeemed friendship operates. If you've seen the movie, you know the movie is about this woman named Annie, played by Kristen Wiig. And her best friend Lillian is, is about to get married. Lillian's the best thing that she's got going in her life. She hates her job. Her relationships stink. And, and so when Lillian gets married, she's helping out. And then all of a sudden, she starts clashing with one of the other bridesmaids. And it eventually blows up. And, and then she loses her friendship with Lillian. She loses her house. She loses her job. Everything starts to fall apart. And worse yet, she starts to say she's got no friends. She throws herself a pity party. And in the midst of that pity party, one of the other bridesmaids named Meg, played by Melissa McCartney, comes in and says, hey, you've got friends. Here's a beautiful picture of redeemed friendship. Let's watch. You wouldn't know anything about that because you haven't been returning my calls. And, and say what, Meg? And say, hi, I, I can't get off the couch. I got fired from my job. I got kicked out of my apartment. I can't pay any of my bills. My car is a piece of... Uh, I don't have any friends. Um, the last you know time I... You know what I find interesting about that, Annie? It's interesting to me that you have, you have absolutely no friends. Well, you know why it's interesting? Here's a friend standing directly in front of you trying to talk to you, and you choose to talk about the fact that you don't have any friends. You know what I mean. No, no, I don't think you want any help. That's I think you want to have a little pity party. No. 
Yeah, I think Annie wants a little pity party. Pity. Is that what, what you want? Ow! You're trying to get you to fight for your <clears throat> life, and you won't do it. You just won't Stop do it. it. Stop slapping yourself. Stop slapping yourself. I'm your life, Annie. I'm your Sorry. Nice hit. All right. I'm glad to see you got a little bit of spark in you. I knew that Annie was in there somewhere. I think, I think you're ready now to hear a little story about a girl, a girl named Megan. A girl named Megan that didn't have a very good time in high school. I'm referring to myself when I say Megan. It's me, Megan. And I know you look at me now and think, boy, she must have breezed through high school. Not the case, Annie. No, this was not easy going up and down the halls. Okay, they used to try to blow me up. They threw firecrackers at my head. Firecrackers. I mean, literally, I'm not saying that figuratively. I got firecrackers thrown at my head. They called me a freak. Do you think I let that break me? Think I went home to my mommy crying, oh, I don't have any friends. Oh, Megan doesn't have any friends. No, I did not. You know what I did? I pulled myself up. I studied really hard. I read every book in the library. And now, I work for the government. I have the highest possible security clearance. Don't repeat that. I won't. Okay, you lost Lillian. You got another best friend sitting right in front of you, if you'd notice. Huh? Now you gotta stop feeling sorry for yourself. Okay, because I do not associate with people that blame the world for their problems. Because you're your problem, Annie. And you're also your solution. See, what a brilliant picture of redeemed friendship right there. Redeemed friendships are the friends that will come into our lives, they'll push past our self-pity and, and cling to us, literally jumping on top of us, sometimes slapping us around until we finally see how things really are, right? Those are the kind of friendships that God is, wants to place in our lives. In fact, what's so incredible about that is, is oftentimes we want to kind of push those people away. We want to push everyone away when tragedy hits us. But those are the friendships that will push through and help us see who we really are. Because in Christ— we are more than overcomers, amen? And sometimes we don't see that. We're in times of trial and tragedy and pain. But we need people to help remind us who we are and what Christ has done for us and the power that he has placed inside of us already. And back in our story, as Ruth says this impassionate plea, Naomi just goes, Ruth, trust me, you don't, you don't want to come to Israel. It's just going to get harder. It's going to get more difficult. And finally, Ruth throws it all down. She leaves it all in the field. She says this, May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but what? Death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. You know what Ruth is saying here? Naomi, if you don't want me to go with me, you're literally going to have to kill me. Over my dead body, are you going to go through this on your own? I am not leaving you in your time of need. I am with you whether you like it or not. And at this point, what's Naomi going to say? <sighs> Fine, come. But you're going to regret this later. And then Ruth jumps in the car and they, they drive out to the next uh, part of the journey. You see what's so interesting about this friendship is that it really did change Ruth. And here's how I know that. You see, oftentimes, you know, when we meet people, sometimes we talk about God. I'm like, oh, do you believe in God? I believe in God. You know, we talk about this generic idea of God. But then we start talking about, oh, do you believe in Jesus? Then we get a little bit more distinctive. When Ruth uses this word, the Lord, this isn't just the generic word for God in the Hebrew Bible. This is actually a very specific name for God, the only God's people the Israelites would use. It's the name Yahweh. 
And so when Ruth is basically saying, may Yahweh punish me, she's essentially saying this, I really am leaving my God behind because I am actually literally swearing by your God, not by my own. You see, somewhere in her friendship with Naomi, something changed within Ruth. Maybe it was a conversation they had in the past 10 years of knowing each other, or Naomi would talk about the God of Israel and his story and how he helped them get through, the, get through slavery in Egypt and all these other things. Maybe Ruth would look at Naomi's life and think, wow, there is something different about her. What is it? And then maybe it's this final Naomi, finally, Naomi is sacrificing her own life so that Ruth can have a better life. And finally, Ruth just says this, I don't know what it is that this God has done to you, but I want that God. I want that kind of connection. See, friendship is sometimes what can be the catalyst for transforming us into having faith in Christ. For many of you in this room, that's how you began that relationship with God, through friendship. See, redeemed friendships determine the direction or the destination of our lives. Redeemed friendships determine the destination of our lives. And for Ruth, what that meant was she went from an eternity without knowing God to having an eternal friendship with God that literally was going to change the direction of so many people, generations to come later. And so oftentimes, when we talk about redeemed friendships, what does that mean? What does that look like? It's the kind of person that's going to cling to us when we enter hard spaces and hard places. The kind of friendships that are going to hold on to us no matter what. They're going to push past our self-pity. They're going to fight for us, sometimes fight with us, and definitely sacrifice for us when we hit times of tragedy and loss and pain. Those are the kind of friendships, one that we are called to offer other people, and also the ones that we are called to be in. See, there is nothing more powerful than a redeemed friendship. No sermon is more motivating than a redeemed friendship. No argument is more persuasive than a redeemed friendship. Friendships are more powerful, more transformative than anything we could ever see or experience. In fact, I heard a great story recently about someone in our church named Janet who told me this story that really just blew me away and just really convicted me and humbled me. And, and Janet was telling me this story where she was talking with a friend of hers, and her friend was really in a hard spot. Um, her friend's husband actually was uh, diagnosed with lupus, and what it was really doing was kind of destroying his body. Actually, um, destroyed his kidneys. He was in kidney failure. He had to be uh, on dialysis. And so, as, as this was as this conversation was happening, Janet was so moved by her friend's words that she simply looked her in the eye and said, "I want to give him my kidney." Now. Let, let me just be really honest with you. If someone was telling me that their husband is going through that, maybe I'd pray for them. Maybe I'd bring them a meal. Maybe I'm writing them a card. But the first thought would not be, let me give them my kidney, right? That's incredible. Incredibly generous. An incredible gift. But Janet just simply said, I, I want to do this. And her husband, who actually was an atheist, uh, basically went up to her and said, listen, you, you can't do this. I mean, this could be, all, there's all these complications. I don't even know if you're going to be matched. This is just crazy. I, I don't get this at all. He didn't have that God framework in, him, in mind. And Janet just simply said this, you don't understand, Jesus sacrificed everything for me to give me eternal life, to give me a life abundant so that I can be generous with my life. And so this is not, this is not a duty. This is a delight. I get to do this. I'm excited about this. So she went and found out that she was a match, that she was a perfect match. After that, she went through the whole process and ended up giving him her kidney, and the lupus symptoms were gone. And this guy, for the first time in his life, was able to, able to be the father he always wanted to be with his sons, taking him on Boy Scout trips and camping and things like that. And over time, his friendship with Janet grew deeper and deeper and deeper until finally, 
he came to a place where he gave his life to Christ. And this was a picture of a redeemed friendship. This could never have happened through arguments or, or even the best preaching or the best books written, but all through redeemed friendship, because in a redeemed friendship, we're willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. And Ruth was that kind of friend to Naomi, sacrificing her well-being, her prospects, her life, so that Naomi could be taken care of, so that Naomi could succeed as well. And oftentimes we struggle with where, where can we find a friend like that? And oftentimes we can never find a friend like that on earth. In fact, I love what Proverbs 18.24, it says this, there are friends who destroy each other, meaning there's fake friends out there. We've all experienced them. We've all connected with them. But a real friend sticks closer than a brother. You see, there's a real friend that can stick closer to us if we've never had a model of true earthly friendship, and that's Jesus. Jesus, who is God on earth, once told his disciples, listen guys, we've been together for a long time. We've been through a lot. Stop calling me your master. Stop calling me your teacher. You can actually start calling me your friend. We're friends. We're friends. And Jesus is the friend that is with us in our darkest times, in our hardest spaces. And he's bringing us through those places because he's been there first. Jesus experienced doubt. He experienced confusion. He experienced fear before he went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's simply saying, God, this is too hard. Can you maybe find another plan? Do you have another idea? Let's go to plan B. Jesus went to the cross, was crucified, experienced separation from God, experienced grief and loss, lost the presence of his Father. He tastes the bitterness of sin so that we could have the betterment of eternity with God, so that we could have friendship with God. Jesus gave his life. See, we have a friend that will stick closer to us when even our earthly friends don't understand us, when even our earthly friends don't get us, when our, even our earthly friends may not be there to support us the way we want them to. And that is Jesus himself. But, you know, not only has Jesus enabled us to have friendship with the Father, he's also enabled us to have friendship with one another. In fact, we are called to be friends with one another, and that's one of the beautiful things about what the church is called to be. We are called to be the community of faith, friends with one another, supporting one another, sacrificing for one another, serving one another, loving one another. And with that in mind, I have a question for you. Who's your Naomi? Who's your Naomi? You have a friend right now, and they're struggling. Maybe they're going through a hard divorce. Maybe they're struggling with their kids. Maybe they've lost a job. They're struggling with singleness. Whatever it is, you know what it is. And God is saying that you need to step in and cling to them. Push through their self-pity and help them see who God has made them to be. You need to be their Ruth. You need to be like Janet to them. But I know some of you, you can look at the story of Ruth, and maybe you relate to Ruth. You know what it's like to be in the prime of your life. You thought at this point you'd be married. You thought you'd be uh, having kids. But then all sorts of tragedy has come through. Maybe your expectations weren't met. A relationship fell through or you lost someone, and you're kind of left going, God, what, what's next? Who's, what's to become of me? And in those times, that's why God has raised up the church. See, the church is the people of God. The church are men and women like you and I that are going to decide right now that we are going to be Ruth to people who are Naomi's in our congregation, 
But we're also going to open up about our own pain, our own hurt, our own frustrations, our own joys with people. Because when we open up our own lives and other people open up their lives to us, that's when true redeemed friendships come about. And, and the blessed place to find that, if you're looking for that here at Liquid, because, you know, Sunday morning, you know, it's great. We have great worship, great teaching, all those things. But really, if you want redeemed friendships, you need to get involved in a life group. See, in a life group, it's a context and a place where you can meet people that are like-minded, that, that want to open up their hearts and their homes and their lives for you so that you can also do the same for them. I want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group right now, there's the Next Step kiosk. You can go there and, and go ahead and sign up and get connected that way. But really, you know, when the church functions the way the church is supposed to, we can be a great blessing to this world, which is getting more and more divided as each day goes on. But we can be a source of blessing. We can be a source of promise if we decide to say we're going to stand and be the church that God has called us to be, to be re the redeemed community that we were made to be since the beginning. Would you stand with me? I want to end our time together before we go into some more worship by saying, the, by declaring actually boldly the words that Naomi heard from her daughter-in-law Ruth. Ruth has said, I'm going to cling to you and I'm going to dedicate my, I'm going to dedicate myself to you. And with these words that Ruth spoke, she's able to be a blessing. So we're going to say those together. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Let's declare this again, church. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Let's pray. Spirit of God, I pray that these words would be seared into our hearts, into our minds. May we be a people that will declare to one another that we will push through the pity. We will bless others. Father, we may not always have all the answers. We may not always understand why you do what you do or why you direct our paths in a certain way, but God, you have redeemed uh, relationships in our lives and they can determine the destination of where we are. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us look for the Naomi's in our lives. Help us to see the Ruth's in our lives, the people that we can open up to, that can cling to us in those times of heartache and pain. But Father, we declare that we want to be the church that you dreamed of, that would stand in the gap of those relationships, that would be a blessing when others need to be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.